Well, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 1, Luke, chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you, Heavenly Father, for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. As Lord, as we give thought to this announcement by the angels, the great joy that is given to all men in this message. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would deal with hearts according to your perfect will. And Father, will we pray that souls would be saved and your people would be drawn closer to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I still remember back in 1971. 1971 was a key year. I got saved just about a month before Christmas, actually. 1971, having been brought up in a lost home where mom and dad were drunkards, we were brought up at the Moose and the Eagles and the VFW and the bowling alley and places like that, we knew nothing about what Christmas was about. But you know, because there was a day that was celebrated as the birth of Christ, I did get to hear his name every year. Because whenever they talk about Christmas, they did use his name. But that's as familiar with him as what I was. It was all pagan. It was all heathen, of course. It was all about presents and things that don't really matter than about the Christ. You know, the world's always exploited things like that. And the world continues to do so. You say, my, what debauchery goes on around Christmas? Well, debauchery goes on every night of this world. You understand? And anything that can possibly be a holiday of any kind is going to be debauched by the world. That's exactly what takes place. Now, there's a lot that we don't know when it comes to Christmas time. When it comes to Christmas time, we really don't know what day of the year he was born on. We just know he was born. We know he was born of a virgin. By the way, we don't know what year he was born. Uh, because you say, well, surely he had to be born in year zero. No, there is no year zero. There's a year one. And there's a year 1 B.C., but there's no zero year. You know, this is not like a mathematical timeline. That's not how it takes place. Now, since we do know, history tells us that Herod the Great died in 4 B.C., we know that Jesus had to be born before Herod died. 
because Herod is part of the whole message here. We don't know how many of the wise men came or how long it took them to come because they had to come all the way from over around Babylon. They had seen his star in the east, a star that was written about in the book of Numbers that would take place. And there's no doubt with all the Jews that had been taken off into captivity that the wise men, especially since Daniel, a few hundred years before, had been one of the leaders of the wise men. Matter of fact, he was one of the leaders because when he would come up to make an announcement given to him by God, they always came true just exactly like God said. They not only knew of the star, but they knew of the timing. And it would take three to four months for them to make the trip from Babylon all the way over to the Holy Land. You understand, when you're talking about the birth of Christ, you're talking about something that there's the actual birth, but all the stories that are around it. uh, We don't know how much time is actually covered. Was it three months it took them to come there? Four months since they saw it? We do know this that when they get there in Matthew chapter 2, they're no longer in a manger. They're in their own house. We also know that when uh, Herod the Great gets word that this baby is being considered the king of the Jews, that he had all the children up to two years of age living in Bethlehem and in that general area, he had them put to death. So you understand there's an awful lot that we put with the Christmas story that didn't all happen on that one night. And how many wise men there were, we don't know. We don't have a clue. Don't let the hymns that are out there, don't let them set your theology. Be careful about this. He had three types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there's no place where it tells us that one king brought one, another king brought the other, and another brought the other, or a wise man. You understand? You see, when it comes to this story, the timing... Well, we like to combine it all down to just one particular day, whether it's December 25th or whether it's January the 6th or whether it's April the 13th. It really doesn't matter. We do know he was born and we do celebrate that. As a matter of fact, the angels were not celebrating the day. They were celebrating the fact. And they had a message for the wise men. And it's a message that according to them is one of great joy. For the scripture says, beginning in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, for unto you is born this day, In the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You know, joy is mentioned 155 times in the Bible. Sometimes it's used as a description. For instance, there are houses of joy. There are sacrifices of joy. You'll read about shouts of joy in the scripture and a voice of joy. We read of times when people were joyous. And on occasions that were considered joyous occasions. And there were times when people were full of joy. Eleven times in the scripture we read of great joy. And there are five references in the New Testament to great joy. Now don't confuse joy with fun. 
There's a big difference between joy and fun. The world knows how to have fun, but it doesn't know much about joy. The world goes from parties to parties, and yet still you've got all kinds of wickedness and sin and death that surrounds each of those things with the parties and the things that go with them, whether it be the drugs, the alcohol, whatever else may be there. But each of the five references in the New Testament referring to great joy all revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the first one here in Luke chapter 2 has to do with the fact that there is great joy because of the coming Savior. All those prophecies in the Old Testament that had been uh, pronounced that the Christ was coming, the anointed one was coming, being fulfilled on this night when the angels spoke out and said that this announcement would be one of great joy. It's good tidings of great joy. This really matters. This is something that's important. Now, the shepherds heard the news. And what's the news? A Savior. A Savior. Now, you talk to a lot of people today, say, big deal. What's so important about that? Well, if you don't come to know the Savior, you'll die and go to hell. Because man has sinned. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Man needs a Savior. And thank God, God sent a Savior. You go back into the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 to 11. He says, uh, it beginning, well, in verse 11, he says, I even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Only in the Lord is there a Savior. And thank God, the Bible declares, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Well, who is this Savior? He says in verse 11, a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Christ the Lord. The word Christ is really the Greek form of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means the anointed one, the promised one of God. Christ, the Messiah, Christ, the Lord, and he is Lord of all. Now, that word means anointed in the Greek, and of course, in the Hebrew, it's rendered Messiah, the official title of our Lord, occurring 500 times, 514 times in the New Testament. It denotes that he was anointed or consecrated to his great redemptive work as both prophet and priest and king. You see, it's not about a babe in a manger. Had the babe simply come to the manger and not gone to the cross to pay our sin debt, to shed his blood, then we wouldn't have a savior. He had to do the work of the savior, which was taking care of the sin problem. And he did that by going to the cross of Calvary. For the wages of our sin is death. Here's the one person who never sinned, never said a wrong word, never did a wrong thing. Always, motives always right, always perfect in all things. He did not deserve to die. Then why did he die? Because God took our sin and placed it on his son at Calvary. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with the stripes we are healed. You know, you look at a lot of the news stories that are going on, even these folks with billions of dollars, 
uh, they have to go to the next party and the next party and the next party because they find that when they wake up after a night of partying, they're as miserable as can be. They got to come up with another party to even have a reason to live. What a horrible way to live your life. And as long as you've got the money, the friends will be there. And when you don't have it, they're done. And it says, here's good news to the world. There's a Savior that's come. And it is Christ the Lord. Even that woman at the well, you remember in John chapter 4, she was looking for the Messiah. She said, I know Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I that speak unto thee am he. And this is important because he didn't just come for one nation. He didn't just come for one race. He came for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't care who you are. Don't care where you're from. Don't care what your color of skin is. Don't care where you're at economically or where you're at socially. Jesus Christ, the Lord, came for you. Great joy because there's a Savior. Hallelujah. What wonderful news. And we're commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because it's great news. It's the best news there is of a coming Savior. Secondly, great joy of a certain Savior. Go over to Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, now at this point, the wise men have shown up in Jerusalem. Try to find out what city that the one who would be born king of the Jews would be born. He says in verse 9, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Again, the great joy is mentioned in this passage. It's not mystical. But it's a certain Savior. It had to be born in Bethlehem. Now, to me, it's interesting that in Luke chapter 2, that God set the entire Roman Empire into motion to get that young couple, Mary and Joseph, from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. You see, to be taxed, they had to go to the, what would have been the home city of Joseph's family. That would have been Bethlehem. Now... They had to go down there for the taxing. It's interesting to me because in chapter 1, we find that when Mary was expecting, God sent an angel to tell Joseph that he was to take Mary as his wife. So an angel gave him that message. Later, by the way, after the visit of the wise men to Mary and Joseph and the babe, we find an angel tells Joseph again that now he's to take the babe and the mother and they're to go down to Egypt. And then later after Herod the Great dies, an angel appears again to Joseph and tells him to take the child and the mother back to Nazareth. So he obeys the Lord in everything that he says. And you wonder, why didn't he tell Joseph? Why didn't he tell uh, Joseph in this matter, or tell, I'm sorry, tell the wise men that Bethlehem, or tell Joseph when he's up in Nazareth, go on down to Bethlehem. I'll tell you why. For proof that this child is the Christ. 
had he just gone down on his own. But you see, this would make it a public record because that's where he would be taxed. It's a record that would be seen for a long time that, hey, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It is this certain Savior. There is none other. Now, the wise men knew the story. They looked for the star, the special star talked about in the book of Numbers. And great joy when they found him. Anna and Simeon later in Luke chapter 2, when they were at the temple and they saw the mother bringing the child to the temple, we find again that they announced this is the one that God had talked about. Great joy again. And when Andrew met Jesus, <coughs> he then rushed to his brother Simon Peter. And he exclaimed, the Bible says, he first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they say, Well, some say you're Elias. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up immediately. We believe that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a certain savior. He is not one of many. He is the only one. <clears throat> so we see the great joy because of a certain savior. Great joy because of a coming savior. And great joy because of a conquering savior. Go over to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Notice verse 5. It says, And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, and there shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear. I know here's the term again. And great joy. What about that? And did run to bring his disciples word. Great joy. Why? He's risen. He's risen exactly like he said. He is risen. He told the disciples in John 14 and verse 19, Because I live, ye shall live also. He is the conquering Savior. He conquered death. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know he can give me everlasting life? Because he conquered death. That's how I know. It's a sure thing. And he's given the message to the world that all must stand before him one day. So if you want to stand before him and be welcomed into heaven, then dear friend, you must come to him for he is the only one who's conquered death, hell, and the grave. It's why it's so silly to trust the church to take you to heaven. Church didn't die for your sins. Church didn't raise from the dead. Christ died for your sins. Christ rose from the dead. It's Christ that gives everlasting life. He is the conquering Savior. You see, death is simply a change of residence to a far better place for those who are saved. But according to what Jesus talked about when he spoke of hell in Luke chapter 16, for those that are without the Savior, 
for those who don't trust him. The Bible says, and the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torment. I thank God, I thank God that in death there is certainty. For all who know Christ, there is no doubt. You know, this is a dangerous world we live in. I mean, if it's not wars and rumors of wars or pandemics or just simply the wickedness of mankind, you can read it in the paper uh, all the time, the people who are being killed and butchered. Matter of fact, I read a story this morning about out in Oakland. Uh, they were talking about just a gang of people taking a person apart and killing them. Uh, this is a wicked day. It's a sin-filled day. But the single sign of his deity is his resurrection from the dead. When the Jews asked for a sign, he said, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But he said, the only sign that will be given to this generation was as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Even so, the Son of Man be in the heart of earth. Thank God he rose from the dead. It is a fulfillment of his promise. For he said in Matthew 16, 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Not only that, it's the proof that light, the life he promised is absolutely real. Remember when he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I tell you, I wouldn't be conquering, I wouldn't be trusting someone who couldn't conquer death. I mean, death seems to be pretty final, doesn't it? <laughs> Not if you know Jesus. I mean, his body's going to die. I know that's going to happen. But I don't fear being dead because I know where I'm going to be. I know that on the authority of this Savior who's conquered death. Then we see great joy. Not only in a certain Savior, and a coming Savior, and a conquering Savior, but a crowned Savior. Go over to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Notice in verse 52 of Luke chapter 24. The Bible says, and they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now that is when Jesus was ascending up into heaven. He gave them a promise. The angels gave them a promise that he was coming back. He is the crown savior. Go over to the book of uh, Hebrews a moment. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. The Bible says, beginning in verse 6, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But get this, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. He tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of God. The angels cried when he, when he uh, ascended up in Acts chapter 1. They said, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go up from you. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. Simply saying, he's coming back. Just as real as his first coming was, he is coming back. And he's going to come back personally. Notice what he says beginning in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven opened. And behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus is coming back. He is now the right hand of the Father making intercession for us and he's coming back. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a nice religious story. This is reality. He came. He was born of a virgin. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He rose from the dead three days later. He later ascended up into heaven and he is coming back and I say that's a message of great joy for anyone who will receive it you know I read a statement that I know I've read hundreds of times over in Acts chapter 13 but I, I read it this morning and I guess I just never stopped to think about it before in Acts chapter 13 the apostle Paul is preaching on his first missionary journey he presents the gospel of Christ and he gets down it gets to the end of his preaching in verse 46 and notice it says then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you but seeing he put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. These people that rejected Christ didn't realize evidently what they had done. They had not just rejected Christ, but they had considered themselves unworthy to receive everlasting life. I, I'd never noticed that before, the statement that the Holy Ghost used in Paul's life. And he says, and lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now, it's even after this in the book of Romans. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The message was still to the Jew first. But thank God it is also to the Greek. That's anybody else. 
no matter who you are, this message is for you. You say, oh, I don't want that message. So are you judging yourself unworthy to receive everlasting life? Because that everlasting life only comes in him. It comes in no one else. And in him, there is great joy. And then there's great joy of acclaimed chosen Savior. Go over to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, an amazing thing takes place. A deacon by the name of Philip goes up to the area of the Samaritans. Now, here he is up in Samaria, and, and you remember that the Samaritans were basically a hated people. The, the Gentiles didn't like him, and the Jews didn't like him. Where they came from was back in 722 B.C., when the Assyrians came down and overran the northern kingdom. They carried many of the Jews out up, at, up to Assyria. They left some of the Jews in the land, and they brought a number of their own people down into Samaria, and they intermingled with the Jews that were left there. This created a group of, for lack of a better term, half-breeds, mixed-race people. And as a result, the Jews down in Jerusalem, they wanted nothing to do with them. This was a mixed-race people. Gentiles wanted nothing to do with them. They were a mixed-race people. Now, Jesus made it plain that he came to die for all. But here is Philip. Now, remember, the Jews wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. But here's Philip, a deacon in the church. He goes up there and witnesses. You look at verse 8. And it says, but there was a certain man called Simon, which, uh, let's see, verse, uh, I want the right verse here. Let me make sure I have it. All right. Yes. I'm sorry. Let me read verse seven. For unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. You go down to verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. 1971, working at WAOP radio station in Otsego, Michigan, I received Jesus Christ as my savior at the radio station. I had just heard in the few months before that the gospel for the first time in my life. I found out that God loved me in spite of my sin. He gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so I could have eternal life. Here we were in the latter half of November 1971 when I bowed my head and I took Christ as my Savior. Now, I didn't understand necessarily what all that meant. But when the pastor came to the mobile home where my wife and I lived to try to win me to the Lord, and I told him I had trusted Christ, at the radio station just the week before, he began to share with me what that meant, what I had, forgiveness of sins, a home in heaven all taken care of. I got burdened and my wife gets saved. And the next week he came out and he won my wife to Christ. And I praise the Lord for that. Our life changed. You talk about, you know, it was just going to be another Christmas. Uh, we, I can't say that we were all excited about that before because... We were expecting our first child, but obviously not being born yet, she wasn't going to enjoy it. And you don't go out and buy a bunch of presents for a kid that's not even there yet. So here we were just looking for another nothing type of Christmas. But for the first time, I knew it's about Jesus. 
who came for me, who died for me. I wanted to tell everybody. We told family members. I told the people that I worked with. Uh, there's a joy in knowing Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for this one who will save anybody. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah, this is a message of great joy. This is not a time for us to be cast down, but this is a time for a world to see that people can have great joy and they don't need booze and they don't need drugs and they don't need sports. They don't need all the stuff that the world throws out there that never lasts. But thank God there is a Savior that when you trust Him and He turns your life around, brother, there is great joy. Do you know Him today? You see, not all church members have that joy because being a church member doesn't take you to heaven. You've got to have the Savior. To have that joy. That Savior that the angels shouted about in the story we read in Acts chapter 2. Great joy. Because unto you is born in the city of David a Savior. Which is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray today that you bring this wonderful news to every heart. For any who've never truly been born again, may they come to Jesus today and be saved. Now, Lord, I'm, I'm sure that there are some who have received Christ as Savior, but because they've allowed other things into their life, it's stolen their joy. But they can get it back in Him. I pray, dear God, there'd be believers who would decide they're going to start living for the Christ who loved them, who died for them, who rose from the dead for them who, give them, who gave them eternal life when they trusted him. Begin to live for him. Lord, you have your way today, I pray, in each heart, for I ask it in Jesus' name.